So we're going to jump into some teaching today, and uh, here's the thing. Most of us uh, grew up in homes with rules. Uh, ooh, I got a reaction right away. First sentence. Uh, stay with me. Some households have a lot more rules than others. Some are really strict, but even homes with the most freedom have some rules. And I want to ask you what your experience with that has been. That's a conversation for another time in another environment. But homes and families and households have rules. Can you identify with that so far? You understand? Okay. Did you grow up in a home with rules? Uh, how many of you grew up in a home with had at least one rule? Okay. Um, how many of you had rules in the home where you are raising or raised your children? There are rules. Oh, wow, we got a breakdown there, okay? Uh, we should have a talk about that. You, um, how many of you still have some rules and there's just two of you left in the house? <laughs> you don't have to answer that. But <laughs> where you, we see the dynamic, we know how it works. Where you work, there are rules, right? Everywhere you go where you're interacting with people, there are rules of some kind. Have you found this to be true? It is true, just telling you it's true. So if you haven't figured that out yet, maybe that contributes to some issues. But here's the thing. Some of these rules are written. Most are not. So we've said for years here in this church that the simple principle that governs our interactions with others is that we are to treat each other in the church the way God has treated each of us through Jesus. So what, and that's not a concept we came up with, that's lifted right out of the New Testament. So what does that look like? I've said for 20 plus, 25 years, I think treating each other in the church the way that God has treated each of us looks a lot like the one another's in the New Testament. There are lots of one another's. If you, uh, when we talk about what life should look like in a healthy church, look at the one another's in the New Testament. Just like do a word search on your Bible app or Bible Gateway or U version or whatever you use. Look, just search one another. There's, it's love one another, accept one another, encourage one another, serve one another, honor one another, forgive one another, live in harmony with one another. So even in this household that we call the church, there are some expectations, and we consistently, when, when we consistently engage in these practices and live by these values, there is unity. There is synergy around a common mission, and there is life change, and there is spiritual transformation. This morning, I want to give the rest of our time to talking about just one such one another. And I want to begin by looking at a verse. Uh, you don't need to look it up because it's not the passage that we're going to spend any time in, but it's kind of a launch pad for us. It's kind of the direction we want to go. And it's in Galatians, where we've been for several months, but just the next chapter in Galatians chapter 6. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Just before I go any further, let's just talk about what law of Christ is. When Jesus was asked, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? He said, love God. How do you do that? Loving, yes, that's, that's the description. And then how to actually do it is to love one another. Love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do we do that? By loving one another. That is the law of Christ. So I want to make a confession about how this verse strikes me, how it lands with me when I read this verse. It says, carry each other's burdens. And my initial response is, um, you know what? I have other verses in the Bible that I like better than this one, 
I don't have time for this or margin of any kind. I, uh, I'd like to opt out of this one for just for now, just for the next, I don't know, 20 years of my life. I, this, I don't really know. No, thank you. That's for other people. It's because number one, I have enough burdens of my own. I mean, don't you? I mean, the idea of bearing someone else's burdens does not motivate me in the least little bit as a leader. I feel, like, and this, is, this is just confession time, I feel like bearing one another's burdens is like running in place. It's like, you know, I want us to make progress as an organization, and I want us to move forward. I want us to, like, develop, and I want us to reach goals that are clearly stated. I want something I can put on a chart with an arrow moving up and to the right. That's what I want. So the idea of pausing... And taking time and investing energy and bearing one another's burdens and caring for one another, sometimes for me, it's just like, So I thought I'd start off with some confession. So for those of you who know me, you're like, yeah, we know this about you. (laughs) So those of you who don't, now you understand. If you talk to um, executives who, you know, you talk to leaders in organizations and companies, they'll tell you that they spend an awful lot of time dealing with employees and their problems. And it's like, you know, they're like, we're here to manufacture a product. We're here to provide this service. These people just seem to line up at my door all day long for help with their problems. It's just draining, and it takes us off course. And I think about that, and I think, you know, I'm a pastor And I sometimes feel that way, that people's problems take me off course, and I'm kind of in the people business, and I felt guilty about that at times, a little, and the point is, my personality, the way that I'm wired, carry one another's burdens, it's just like, I'll take a pass on that. There are others of you who read that verse and you're like, yes, that's what the church should be. This is what Jesus is all about. This is what the church should be, Todd. Wake up. You need to go visit the wizard because you need a heart. Because like you need, because you, you love to care for people. Because that's what being a Christian is all about. You just love it. Some of you read that verse and you're like, that's nice for some people, but nobody's going to carry my burdens. I mean, I got my burdens. Man, have I got burdens. You would not believe the burdens I've got, but it's really none of your business. I'll bear my burdens. You bear your burdens. That's how it works. We're good Americans, and more than that, we're independent Mainers. We can handle it. We got our stuff, but we can handle it. We can handle our own junk because my burdens are my burdens. Your burdens are your burdens. I'm not telling anybody about my burdens. And yeah, you got some problems at home, and I got some stuff going on, and the marriage is not good, and I don't like the way it's going. And I got problems financially, and, and I'm like, I'm almost upside down. It's just bad, you know, and I got some physical stuff going on, but I'm not getting involved in anybody else's problems, and I'm not involving anyone else in mine because my burdens are my burdens. So here's the thing it's kind of a controversial and uncomfortable thing, and it's confusing at times, and consequently, churches sometimes get all mixed up and confused about the whole idea of caring for one another. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is the longest, most elaborate illustration of anything I know of in the Scripture, and the reason we tend to go to extremes when it comes to caring for one another is that... uh, Those of us who are, or I should say, those of you who are natural caregivers and burden bearers, you tend to wear yourself out, right? You just drop at the end of the day because you just give and give and give and give and give. Others of us, we're focused on other things. You could say we're a little more task-oriented than people-oriented. We're kind of, and then we come off as 
slightly insensitive. And, and then maybe some of us are just completely withdrawn from any of that. But this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning is an illustration that paints a picture that gives us a sense of balance, gives us a healthier perspective on caregiving in the life of the church. Because as a church, we have been commanded to care for one another. We don't get to opt out. It's like one of the house rules, all right? It's like one of the rules you grew up with uh, in your house. It's, it's one of the rules that you've, in our house right here, that we have to care for one another. So how do we put things in balance? How do we bring things into a healthier perspective? How can we become a church that is characterized by, you know, hey, those people at Faith Community, they really care for each other. Like, that's what we're going to tackle this morning. So we're going to start with some verses in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you have a Bible with you and you're sitting somewhere where you can see it under uh, a dim light, or if you have your Bible app, or if you just want to follow along on Scripture or on the screen, we're going to have the Scripture there for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 12. Most of the verses we're looking at this morning are an illustration, okay? They, you understand, like it's, it's metaphor, they're an illustration of this thing that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across. So we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the illustration, and then at the end, uh, he gets to the punchline, and so hang with me. We're going to try to track with Paul through these verses that get a little bit weird at times. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, he begins with the obvious. This, he says, the human body, talking about the physical body, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. And we're like, thank you, Paul. I wondered about that. I wasn't sure. I, like, I understand it's first century, and you know, people didn't understand a lot about anatomy and physiology and all that, but we're tracking with you so far, Paul. This is good stuff. Let me write that down. All the parts make up one whole body. Lots of parts, one body. That is deep. Got it. Okay. Then he says, so it is with the body of Christ. Verse 13, for example, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we've all been baptized, or when we talked about this word baptized and how it's translated different ways, right here the word actually means connected into. We've all been connected into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So here's what he's saying, that Jesus left physically, he's not here anymore physically, just like the physical body is one body with lots of parts, the church functions now in the very same way as the body of Christ. We are now the hands and the feet and the mouth and the ears and the eyes of Christ on earth. We're just like a body. Then he kind of preaches to us and he applies this principle by spending a lot of time talking about the physical body. So let's work through this illustration and see where it takes us. Verse 14, Paul says, Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, which first of all would be super weird, like I don't know if your foot has ever spoken to you. If it does, get that on TikTok right away because that is some cool stuff. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, stop, what are you thinking of right now? Mike Wazowski, exactly. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Implied, you wouldn't be able to hear. Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Well, you wouldn't be able to smell. Verse 18. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. In other words, your body is not a random thing. 
God carefully designed the whole thing, and every single day, without even thinking about it, we enjoy the benefit of God's design, and we don't even give much thought to that. But if, if, if once in a while God had hit the random button, and body parts just kind of randomly got put together like, like, a, like a three-year-old with a Mr. Potato Head, right? Like, what a mess that would be. How crazy that would be. And we just tend to take for granted that we are carefully and wonderfully made and that God arranged the parts of the physical body just the way he wanted the physical body to be so the physical body could accomplish exactly what he designed us to accomplish. Then Paul moves on, verse 19. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. So, like, we know all this, right? So far, uh, we haven't learned anything yet. Stay with me, verse 22. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And, like, can you imagine knowing only what they knew about the body in the first century? So here's the application, that they're equally important. There are no unimportant parts, even the parts that we think are unimportant. Verse 24, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. So the members of our physical body care for one another. Think about that. When you're injured, whatever part is injured gets the focus of the rest of your body. God designed your physical body that way. There was a day, believe it or not, when I used to play basketball on a pretty regular basis. I'd play two or three times a week. And it seemed like the most common injury was usually a turned ankle. Um, I never had a turned ankle because I just stood there and hacked people. But uh, you, you play, here's the thing, you, you, like, you play basketball enough with a bunch of wannabes and has-beens, and that's what happens. Inevitably, someone rolls their ankle, right? Then what happens? Okay, they roll their ankle, and immediately... The other foot comes, the other leg comes up, right? And it's like, I'll take the weight. And the left arm says, I'll grab the ankle. And the right arm says, I'll keep the balance. And the neck says, I'll turn the head. And the mouth says, I'll cry out in pain and yell some profanities right now. And this all, this all happens in a millisecond, right? It's an automatic response. It isn't a, hmm, should we help him out? Should I take the weight now? I don't know. He looks kind of dumb hopping around there on one leg right now. I thought we were playing basketball. No, it just happens. And it happens immediately and instinctively. Like when you're injured, the rest of the body goes into motion. It's not some long, drawn-out thought process. There's no disunity. There's not three or four parts of your body going, I'm not going to help that ankle. That ankle's never done anything for me. I don't think so. That ankle is not attractive. Do you see it's all swollen and bruised and gross? That, I'm not getting involved. It just happens. You know why? Because you've got a head. You've got a brain in that head, and it sends these signals, and we go into action. So imagine the same scenario what it would look like if the parts of the body didn't cooperate. Be like, come on, fix yourself, ankle. Been long enough. This is embarrassing. You're embarrassing all of us right now. That's absurd. It's kind of Paul's point. It's absurd to think that the physical body would function any other way. So he gets to the heart of the matter, verse 26. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Like, if you're able to do something athletically, and you're uh, recognized for that. They don't just honor your hands and feet. 
they honor the whole body, right? Uh, like when they bring you up to the podium, the whole body comes to the podium. If you're able to do something and I don't know, some kind of research and you win a Nobel Prize for something you do, and uh, of course, and you tie the winnings from that, which would be great, just keep that in mind. And just, they don't just honor your brain, right? If one part is honored, the whole body is honored. Here's the punchline, verse 27. He says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. In other words, church, think like a body. Think like a body. Don't think like a part of the body. Don't even think like an important part. Don't think like a less important part. Think like a body. Because God is saying to us, you are the body of Christ. And you are to function just like the physical body does. That is, every part gets cared for by the other parts because every part is important. Like, we don't want to lose any parts. We don't want any parts to get infected. We want all the parts to function because we are a body. So I want to give you four takeaways that I've found here in this passage. And there's more, but this is what we're going to do today. And I think this is helpful uh, could be helpful for some of us and helpful for us as a church. Bless you. Here's the first one. When we care for one another, you ready for this? This is deep. When we care for one another, we're caring for the body of Christ. When we care for one another, we're caring for the body of Christ. So we tend to think that when we care for one another, we're caring for one another. But that allows us to think things, well, I don't, I don't, really, I don't, know, I don't really know them that well. Um, I've seen them at church, like across the room, but I don't know them. They've only been coming for like seven years, and I haven't had a chance to talk to them yet. So I don't really know them very well. And those new, new people that started coming, you know, back in the early 2000s, yeah, I don't know them as well either, so I don't think I'm going to get involved in that situation. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 stop. Church people, you gotta, you got to think like a body. Because when you think like a body, when you care for one another, whether it's spiritual care or physical care or relational care or emotional care, you know, whatever kind of care you're giving, when you see that person, that family, that couple, that teenager, you, you, we need to think this isn't just an individual. I'm caring for the whole body. Because if this person goes down or this couple breaks up or this kid walks away from his faith, when the body, then the body suffers. So by caring for him or her or them, I'm actually ministering to the whole body. And Paul says, hey, when you care for one another, you're not caring for just a body, you're caring for the body of Christ. Because we are the body of Christ. Oh, and it's not like this, like just this room right here is the body of Christ and that's it. What you, that's why things like that video, that Operation Christmas Child video kind of reminds us that this thing we're a part of is like so much bigger. Oh, and think about this. All through this community right now, at 10.35 on a Sunday morning, in fact, all up and down the eastern time zone, from Quebec and Ontario, all the way to the Florida Keys and the Caribbean, and all the way into South America, parts of the body of Christ are gathering right now, and singing, and worshiping, and listening to some teaching that's a whole lot better than this, and caring for one another, and we are a part of that. We get to be a part of that. That motivates me. That motivates me as a leader. It motivates me as a follower of Jesus. It motivates me because it's not just meeting individual needs. It's caring for the body. Takeaway number two is that when we care for one another, we enable the body to more effectively fulfill its mission. If we are a sick, injured, unhealthy body, then we're not going to be nearly as capable and competent to fulfill the mission God has called us to fulfill. 
He's called us as a church to lead and love people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And the healthier we are, the better we care for each other, the more effectively then we'll be able to accomplish our mission. So that's helpful for me because care is not an end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. It's a means to a healthier, more able-to-function kind of body. So we have to minister to every single part because that allows us to accomplish our mission more effectively. Number three, no one is expected to carry someone else's burden alone. That's a huge relief to me. Maybe it is to you. We all need to be connected to a team of caregivers. Otherwise, there's this sense of you're doing all the caring on your own. Here's a newsflash. None of us can, can take on the weight of the world. Um, you, you can't, here's the thing. You can't even take on the weight of someone else's world. You can't take on the weight of someone else's burden alone we got to function as part of a team. Two things happen when we approach care as a Lone Ranger. Number one, uh, that's an old reference, isn't it? Do you know what I'm talking about? So when you're, okay, uh, look it up, Google it. Eventually, just turn the volume down. Number one, eventually the caregiver burns out. If you've ever experienced that, that you, you, you know you're there when you find yourself not wanting to be in any environment where you're going to even hear about someone else's needs because to hear about a need is to kind of fire up this internal thing in you and you just want to get involved, but you've been doing it on your own, so you're burned out and you don't want to hear it anymore, not because you don't want to help, but because you no longer have the capacity to help. The well is dry. There's nothing left to draw on. The other thing that happens as a result of Lone Ranger caregiving, eventually some needs are not going to be met. Needs will go, in the church, needs will go unmet. Real needs will be neglected, and the rest of the body pays the price. Care in the church is meant to happen in the context of everybody, all of us, together as a body. It's a team effort. So here's the last one, number four. If you don't let the body care for you, we all suffer. When we get a little too selfish... We get a little too reserved. We get a little too proud to receive care from others. Together, we become unhealthy. So if you're in a church, let's just, uh, let's just say it. What, if you're in this church and you need care, whether it's physical or financial or in your marriage or your family or spiritually, you've got to open up to somebody about that. You've got to let down some walls. You've got to you got to come to the place where you're like, this is hard, and this is humbling, and this is not something I'm comfortable with, and I just don't do this, but I need some help. And then, let us care for you the best we know how. To care for you is to ensure that we as a local congregation continue to be healthy and able to fulfill the thing that God has called us to do. And I know that's hard. So for some of you, that's the application this morning, to come to someone to say that, you know what, we've got some problems. I need some emotional care. I need some relational care. I need some spiritual care. It's just not where I want to be. I need to partner with some people. I need care. And, and, and maybe the hang-up for you is that your tendency is to say, well, my needs aren't that important. Other people have much greater needs than I do. Uh, they aren't that important. There are just so many needs that are more important than mine. I can just deal with my thing. I'll deal with it. I don't want to bother anybody don't do that. Just don't, let's not do that. Because if we do that, we all suffer because we're part of the body together. 
So a few years ago, uh, we realized we were approaching um, kind of a, a number in our church, in our congregation, where we needed to get more intentional about care. Sometimes in the church, we call it pastoral care. You ever heard that term, pastoral care? You have. You've heard me say it. Just put your hand up. You ever uh, heard, thank you, that's great. Glad to hear it's landing. You, uh, that term, pastoral care, uh, have you ever heard that pastoral care and thought it meant the church taking care of the pastors? You ever thought that? Because if you have, I would love to talk with you because that's a conversation that we should have because it is a thing. It is a thing. The church also has a responsibility to care for its pastors. So um, let's talk about that someday. Pastoral care, though, really is just a fancy term for the kind of care that we expect to get from our church experience, from our church family. That's what it means. The kind of care we expect to get from being a part of a church. We call it pastoral care because the word pastor in the New Testament uh, literally means shepherd. And the verb means to care for the flock. To pastor means to care for the flock. So that's why you hear that term and why we have used it in this church in the past, pastoral care. But here's where it gets tricky. And and, uh, here's the thing. Some church leaders, like some pastors, love pastoral care. Some are really good at it. Some have gifts in that area. Others don't. I don't know if you know anybody like that. It's okay. I'm self-aware. Some pastors are gifted in that area. Some need to grow in that area. Some have worked at it really hard. But some others are just not gifted. But here's the deal. Everyone needs it. Every member of a local congregation needs some level of what we call pastoral care at some point. And we've done a huge disservice in the church when pastors and members fall for the lie that if the pastor is in, if pastor's in your title, then you should be the primary provider of pastoral care. This may come as a shock to you if you haven't figured this out yet this morning. I am not gifted in pastoral care. And we can joke about it, but it's the truth. It's not my dominant gift. It's not something God gift. God gave me other gifts, but he didn't give me that one. Doesn't, it's not what God has wired me to do best. And, and listen, even if he had, when a church reaches a certain size, one person can't provide all the care, even the most gifted person. And we passed that number a long time ago. About 20 years ago, we were introduced to the idea in the leadership circles to the idea of span of care, that each of us has a limit to our span of care. There is a limit to how many people we can effectively care for at one time and do it with any level of quality. Here's the thing. Everyone's span of care is different, and I don't know what yours is. I have a pretty good idea where mine ends, and, 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 and here's the thing. Like, don't be too generous with yourself on this. You're like, oh, I could probably care for 120 people. No, you can't. Even Jesus limited his span of care to 12 and a handful beyond that. So I'm talking about this today because we've been through you know, two and a half years of pivoting around COVID and pausing some things that haven't really kind of resumed and uh, dealing, you know, all the limitations we had on interacting with people and how we provided care for people in our church. So we're on the other side of that. And uh, at the same time, uh, we've added a lot of people to our congregation, which is really cool. We've added like over 60 people in the last 18 months. So we're talking about this for two reasons. It's time for us to recalibrate a little bit around congregational care. And number two, We want those of you who have joined us since the winter of 2020 to know how we do congregational care, what you can expect, and then what opportunities there are for you to participate in caring for one another. 
So for a lot of years, until really about five years ago, we were able to kind of get by with a completely organic approach to dealing with congregational care situations as they arose. There's nothing wrong with that, but once we reached a certain size, it wasn't effective and it wasn't sustainable. So here's something we know to be true. And we did not because we read it in a book, because we've lived this. When people don't feel cared for in the church, they don't stay in that church very long. And I get it. We want to be cared for in our church family. We also know that for the typical church member, even here at Faith Community, most of congregational care is just knowing that someone in the church knows and cares about your situation. That's what most of, that's all most of us want. You don't necessarily need someone to come along and fix the whole deal. You just need to know that somebody knows and somebody cares. But the truth is, in some people's minds, depending on your church background, Care in the church doesn't count if the pastors aren't the one providing the care. So if that's your mindset or if that's been your experience in your previous church, you just need to know that your pastors can't respond to every life event for every person who considers this church their home. We just can't do it. It is not humanly possible. It's not sustainable. So a few years ago, we set out to intentionally change that mindset. And if you're like, well, that's good for you, gets you off the hook. No, no, it doesn't get me off the hook. Not at all. So hang with me. Our congregation, there's, this is just kind of a little uh, family meeting now, okay? Did you figure this out? Our congregation is bigger than what you see on Sunday. Um, you're like, what do you mean? Let me, let me ask you this. How many of you, be careful before you answer, how many of you are in church every single Sunday of the year? Right. None of us. Not even me. I missed two Sundays this year. Um, I'm going to give you some numbers. Our average Sunday attendance is right around 155 right now. So that's this room and on all the kids' rooms, right? Uh, but here's the thing. At least 275 different people have attended at least once in the last 12 weeks. Like, we know their names. We know their faces. They consider faith community their church home. 275 people. Plus all the people who don't attend very often, but when they want someone to perform a wedding, when they experience a loss, they need someone to do a funeral, when their marriage is in trouble, they still consider faith community their church and us their pastors. That's just the reality. Plus, people in our community have no association with our church but consider themselves to be friends with one of your pastors. So in light of that, we're easily providing care for 300 people. And we know that because we track this stuff. If you haven't figured it out, we stand at the back of the room and take, we don't do head counts. We track who's here because we want to be better at care. We know that 35 to 40% of our congregation is not here on any given Sunday. So when you look around the room and you take into consideration the bodies in this room right now, we make up less than half the congregation. And even though the people in this room right now, like just this, this is less than half our congregation. And look around. You don't know everybody by name right? So think about that. If you don't know everybody just in this room right now by their, at least their first name, how can the expectation be that the pastors are not only going to know everyone by name and their family connections, but a little bit about their backstory, and they provide all the care that everyone needs? That's not realistic. So this paradigm shift in congregational care is about two things. It's about more effective care, and it's about a more sustainable model. So here's what we've done about that. In 2018, we launched our care team. We started with areas of care that we were already doing kind of organically. 
and the areas of care that were presenting themselves most often. So I'm sharing this with you because I want to remind some of you, and I want to share with some of you for the first time, what we're trying to provide in the area of congregational care, how we're going about it, and how you can be supported in these areas, and we want you to know about opportunities to serve your brothers and sisters right here in this church. So the care team is broken down into a few different kind of sub-teams in no particular order. First one is grief support. Just doing life together requires that this happens from time to time. Like death is a part of the human experience. So we need, sometimes we just need people in our church to come alongside of us where people spend time with one another, share stories, share resources, follow up, check in, spend time with someone as they experience loss. And, and we don't always initiate that, so just be aware of that because we don't know everybody's situation. Everybody processes grief differently, but this team like, wants you to know that they are available to support you in times of loss. The second area we just call medical recovery. So let's just be real clear about that. We don't come into your house and change your dressings and bandages and that stuff, okay? I don't. <laughs> wow, there's just so many places we could go with this. I'm just going to keep going. I'm talking about things like visits in the hospital, visits at home, like in recovery, uh, providing some meals, that kind of thing, whether it's, you know, a surgery or an illness or an injury or whatever the thing is. So the last couple of years, we've had some situations where some visits in the hospital would have been nice, but they simply weren't possible because of limitations around COVID. And uh, so that's where some of our nurses have also been our primary care team uh, in hospital visits because they're right there. And there's been a situation or two where I've been able to, to get in because as a member of the clergy, but uh, I'm, I was happy to step in in those situations. But this team stepped up in a big way, though, in the last year and a half providing meals. Um, we have nearly 20 people on this team that provide meals whenever they're called upon. And we have provided a bunch of meals in the last 18 months or so. Another team is one we just kind of call home repair. Um, we have a team of guys that just somehow have their ear to the ground and uh, find out about opportunities to help with really simple, often seasonal kind of repair projects. Don't get any ideas. If you're planning a full-scale remodel, that's not what we do, okay? Um, but we have been known to put on a few roofs on houses, so there are some things we do. Then there's crisis support. This is things like conversations around marriage and parenting and job loss and health when, when, when there's a crisis, like when the wheels feel like they're coming off and you need to know that people are there. They know. They care. This team doesn't do counseling. Not now. Not yet. Maybe someday in the future, we hope. But for right now, there's what they might do. If you request... Uh, uh, for FaceTime with, say, a pastor, don't be surprised if we refer you to somebody on this team, and they may refer you to, to see a counselor, and I would take them at their suggestions. And then the last one is that uh, we just call them donors, care team donors. These are people who are willing to give uh, money to fund certain kinds of projects for the care team. Uh, we don't have that line item in our budget, but when needs arise, we need to know who it is we can go to and say, hey, we've got this need. It's going to cost this much. Can you contribute this time around? And how often can you contribute? So we're always looking to put the right people in the right places on this team. And for the most part, like we have our team leaders in place, uh, but it's time for a refresh on all of these teams that fall under the care team. So there are opportunities for you to get involved, to serve uh, some of these felt needs right within our church family. 
So this morning, I want to encourage you to take the next step and get connected to this team, and we're going to help you do that. We do this so that we can give and receive care so we can be healthy and so the body can be healthy. And just so you know how this works, we have a kind of a central link, a portal, so to speak, on our website where you can communicate your care needs. There's a form right there, uh, and we will respond right away to that. Because um, here's the thing, like we, we work hard, hard to have all of our volunteer bases covered on Sunday mornings, from the parking lot to the host team to kids' ministry to the stage and the tech room and all of that. And sometimes I know we give the impression that we've got it all under control, we don't need you to do anything. First of all, wow, that's not true at all. Second of all, there are always opportunities for you to serve on a care team. So here's the thing, too, about the care team. Me sign up for a care team and may not be called upon for months, but just know that when the needs arise, you're going to be contacted. So here's what we're going to do. We've got some reply cards. We've got some people scattered throughout the room who are going to get a card like this. Go ahead to everybody in the room. They're going to do this for the next couple of minutes while I continue to talk. Um, you can just take that. Don't need to read it yet. Probably can't read it. It's very small print, and the, it's dark in here. Uh, but I want to talk about this for just a minute. It may be crystal clear to you what you're to do. That may be crystal clear to you. Maybe because of your giftedness, because of your passion, because of your life experience, um, maybe because of where you've received care in the past, and you're like, I want to pass that on to somebody else. We're not asking you to lead anything. We have our leaders in place, but we're asking you to join a team, to be a part of a solution so that we, so we can all just be fully functioning members of the body of Christ, this thing we call the church. We want to be the kind of church that when you bring your non-church friends and your non-believing friends and your seeker friends and your doubting friends and they sit through our service and me going on and on and on and they don't believe all the things I have to say and they're not so sure about some things in the Bible and they got a lot of questions, that they're at least convinced of this one thing, that there's a group of people that really cares for one another. Like, let's start there. You know, it's like, I don't believe everything they believe, but one thing about it, there's a group where you won't slip through the cracks. You will be cared for because we want to be a church that cares for one another. We won't always get it right, but we want to do better. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. Not that you get dressed up on Sunday mornings and not that you come together and sing some songs that most church people know. Not that you appear to have it all together and you don't need anyone to carry your burden because you can handle it. That's not what he said. He said, they're going to know you're a Christian. They're going to know you're a follower of mine if you love one another. And caring for one another isn't just about meeting needs. That's part of it, but it's bigger than that. It's about fulfilling the Great Commission and it's about fulfilling the law of Christ, loving people into a growing relationship with Jesus. So here's what I'd like you to do. If it's clear to you right away where it is you're to serve in this part of church life, then go ahead and fill out the card. The five teams are on there. There's a basket in the back of the room. Just drop it face down in that basket as you leave today, and we'll start figuring out what this looks like as we move forward. If you need a little time to think about it, um, pray about it, because it's not clear to you, because your tendency is to want to sign up for all of them. Don't do that, okay? In that case, you need a little clarity. So take it home, bring it back next Sunday. I'd encourage you, even over the next half hour or so before we leave, that you give this a little bit of thought and then respond as you're prompted by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how practical it is, how it guides us in our 
relationships and interactions with one another, uh, even here in the life of the church. And um, maybe we be reminded that we indeed are a part of the body, the body that we know as faith community and the body that is so much bigger. We want to be healthy so that we can love one another well, so that we can be a good testimony to our community, so that we can love people into relationship with Jesus. That's our prayer in Jesus' name.